When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Short Tales. Today, I wanted to share with you the first few chapters of a novella I wrote entitled The Case of Henry and the Hamster, and which you can now purchase in either paperback or ebook at damianrob.com forward slash books. And afterwards, I want to give you some backstory, because this novella has actually been around for a while and in many ways is the first piece of prose I ever wrote, and easily one of the most meaningful to me. But first, let's hear some of the story. You ready? Good. This is the first two chapters of The Case of Henry and the Hamster. His name was Henry. Henry was 42. Henry lived by himself in an apartment that didn't have room for anyone else. In fact, his apartment felt crowded simply when Henry and Watson, Henry's pet hamster, so named after John Watson, Sherlock Holmes' loyal sidekick, were in the same room. Henry was a fan of all forms of the legendary sleuth, be it the original writings, the movies, or the more recent TV shows. Henry had first considered calling the hamster Sherlock when he'd purchased him from a young girl named Emma who'd been selling the small creatures on the sidewalk on a dreary day last May, but liked to consider himself a Sherlock-esque type character, and thought that in the partnership between himself and his newly purchased pet, he would prefer the hamster be his sidekick, rather than the other way round. He also considered calling the hamster John, but to Henry, John just didn't seem like the right type of name for a hamster. He thought when it came to pet names, and hamsters in particular, things seemed to be reversed. Names like Nibbles or Lady Wigglebottom are perfectly suitable, almost commonplace, but names like Paul or Alice seem ridiculous. No, John just wasn't going to work for Henry and his hamster. But Watson? Watson would do just fine. With a sidekick called Watson, Henry saw himself as one step closer to becoming Sherlock Holmes. Granted, Henry's Watson preferred chewing on kale leaves rather than practising medicine or writing down Sherlock's, Henry's, great feats, but these were details Henry could happily ignore. A similar ignorable detail was his address. Henry had chosen his tiny apartment for its location more than anything else. The address was 221B Bakersfield Street. While not an old brownstone in 1890s London, nor located on Baker Street, the actual address Sherlock Holmes resided, Henry considered it close enough. Besides, Henry's northwest Melbourne suburb didn't have a Baker Street, and while an upper-class suburb across the city did, Henry could hardly afford it. What Henry needed now was a mystery. He was to get one. Henry was walking to his job as a night guard at the nearby shopping centre when he found the dead body. Found may not be the right word. Tripped over and fell on top of would be a more accurate description of events. 
Henry was taking his usual shortcut through a dimly lit aqueduct when his foot hit the woman, followed quickly by his careening body. Pushing himself to his knees, Henry uttered nervous apologies to the woman before he managed to register her lack of response, or movement, or breathing. Henry's mind ticked through those facts and came to the startling conclusion that the woman was dead. His heart raced. It began to slow as both the question and answer entered Henry's mind. What would Sherlock Holmes do in this circumstance? Easy. He would survey the body and look for clues. Henry eyed the woman through the shadows. At first glance, he thought the woman might be in her late twenties due to the style of her form-hugging dress and overcoat. As he looked closer at her face, however, he could see the wrinkles and small blemishes her age-defying foundation attempted to hide. Henry put her age at close to 40, as his mother had started to complain about similar blemishes at this age, and because he knew the brand of makeup worn by the dead woman was favoured by the middle-aged. Thanks to Henry's impressive memory, he could have even told you exactly what shade each item of makeup was. While observing all this, a small part of Henry's brain told him that this would be the part where Sherlock would shock a befuddled Watson with these details. Watson! Henry realised his intrepid sidekick had been in his pocket during the fall. He dove his large hand into his jacket and pulled out a slightly ruffled but otherwise fine Watson. Watson wriggled his nose. Henry heaved a large sigh of relief and gave the hamster a small pat on the head before settling him on his shoulder. With his sidekick in hand, Henry continued the investigation. He spoke his findings out loud to his partner in a voice that bore a slight English accent despite the fact that neither Henry nor Henry's parents or even his grandparents had ever left Australia. I would say her age to be late 30s, early 40s. Her clothes may say otherwise, Watson, but her use of Trevenon Colourstay True Blend 120 age-defying foundation tells us the truth. Watson's whiskers gave a shocked and astounded wiggle at hearing Henry's ability to point out this level of detail. It's simple, really, Watson. I've stood guard inside Myers enough times to notice the various foundations they stock. He was often asked to stand guard at Meyer, and whenever he did, Henry preferred to do so from inside the perfume and makeup section. He loved the way the section smelled. It made him think of his grandmother. She had always told him he would have a girlfriend one day, and if he could pick the right perfume for a girl, then that would put him one up on every other man out there. Of course, Henry never actually got a girlfriend. For now, the only woman in Henry's life was the dead one in front of him. No wedding ring. Henry told his counterpart as his train of thought led him to look for such a thing. Henry continued to look over her body. No anything. Indeed, to Henry, the woman looked fine. Not a bruise, not a bump, not a scratch. No sign of a struggle. No obvious markers to suggest illness or any other medical condition that Henry could identify from his countless hours trawling through WebMD, a favourite side of his. The woman seemed to be in an excellent state of health, practically glowing, were it not for the unmissable fact that she was dead. Watson snuffled into Henry's ear. In their months together, Henry had learned to read Watson's various actions and sounds and then translate them from hamster to human. He knew this snuffle meant Watson was suggesting the woman's possessions would be a good place to search next. Investigate, Watson. Regular people search. Investigators investigate, Henry told him. But a reasonable suggestion all the same. Henry started with the woman's pockets, where he found some wadded-up tissues that were unpleasantly damp. Henry also found her phone. He reached out for the device, but stopped himself. The worst thing an investigator can do, Watson, is to contaminate the crime scene. Fingerprints on phones can be very useful to the police, as we all have fingerprints, even you, I think. I best take precautions. Henry removed the backpack from around his back and unzipped it. 
When lacking proper nylon gloves, Watson, cling wrap can do as a substitute. This he made up, but the logic sounded right to Henry's mind. Sherlock was always offering little tidbits like this. Henry unwrapped his sandwich and, placing the cling wrap around his fingers and their contaminating prints, picked up the woman's phone. It was locked. The phone demanded a four-digit code before it would give up its secrets, but the only code Henry could think of was his own. He needed more information. The handbag. Keeping his makeshift cling wrap glove on, Henry picked up the woman's handbag and made a catalogue of all its items. A set of keys, purse, glasses case, glasses, a flyer from a local church with a large cartoon Jesus depicted on it, an inordinate amount of loose hair ties, a small bottle of anti-nausea tablets, and a pack of tissues. The keys featured the usual, house, car, and office, plus a small one that was perhaps for a locker, as well as a keyring from Norway that featured a troll and doubled as a bottle opener. The purse gave him knowledge beyond the fact that the woman or someone she knew had been to Norway and liked drinking. It contained a small amount of money, a license that told him her name was Rosemary Kelly and that she was 41, more store loyalty cards than the purse had slots for, and three credit cards. The purse also contained some family photos, one of an older couple, likely her parents, one of Rosemary and a woman who looked similar to her, possibly a sister, one of Rosemary and a man, and one of two boys in basketball singlets. Henry stood over the corpse and ate his sandwich. His brain moved through its paces trying to seek a clue for the phone's code. He could try to use Rosemary's birth date as the combination, but that seemed too obvious. Even the most tech-illiterate individual would know to avoid that practice. No, it would be something else. Henry thought about the code for his phone, which was 4560, to represent the four novels, five volumes of short stories, and the total 60 stories Sherlock Holmes featured in. If she were like him, it would be something Rosemary cared for. Or someone. Maybe the man Rosemary was photographed with. No. Men come and go, but a reusable four-digit passcode is forever. It would need to be someone she cared about more deeply. The boys. Nephews, perhaps. Henry looked at the photo featuring them again. He could try to guess their ages, but that seemed like a ludicrous numbering system for a pin, as it would need to be updated twice a year. Then he noticed the basketball singlets. Or more specifically, the numbers on them. 12 and 24. Using his cling wrap glove, Henry typed in 1224, and the phone opened for him. Henry gave the dead Rosemary a thumbs up in their shared victory. He looked at recent calls, nothing too suspicious. One to St. Vincent's Hospital, possibly due to gastro, Henry mused, taking into account the presence of the anti-nausea tablets in her purse. Another to someone called Sam, brackets, mobile. A series of calls to a number entitled Work, which the call information identified as McFarlane Legal. One to Sue Kelly, bracket, Mother, and so on. Henry tried to think if Sherlock would make anything of that list of names and numbers and came up blank. Nevertheless, he got out a pad and pen from his backpack and wrote them all down. Next, he read her messages. Henry felt a bit guilty reading a woman's messages without her permission, but consoled himself and Watson by pointing out that it was all in the name of justice. Most were uninteresting and irrelevant, at least as far as Henry could tell. One stood out, however. It read simply, Father knows, help, I don't know what to do and was addressed to a Joan Stewart. Henry scrolled up through the rest of the conversation, and other than learning that Joan was Rosemary's sister and that Joan's youngest son had recently been sent home from school for filling his mouth with tissues then spitting them at other kids, gained nothing. None of the other communication between the two seemed to be related to their father, or the needing of help. He added Joan's name to the list on his pad. Henry was thoughtful as he returned the phone to Rosemary's pocket. He placed the last of his sandwich into his mouth, then looked up to his shoulder and the contemplative Watson. 
Through his mouthful of chicken, avocado, cheese and bread, he said, Well, Watson, I think it's time we call the police. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Chapter 2 There are crumbs everywhere, said the large policewoman who had introduced herself to Henry as Senior Constable Livingston. Oh, well... I thought it best not to contaminate the crime scene with my fingerprints and so use the cling wrap from my sandwich as a sort of glove, Henry explained proudly. Why were you touching the crime scene at all? she exclaimed. All right, all right. A few crumbs aren't going to hurt, her partner, First Class Constable Gujarati, said soothingly. They're certainly not going to help, Livingston replied. Nor will any of this rat hair. Watson is a hamster. Henry corrected, amazed that someone had risen to such a rank without being able to tell the difference between a rat and a hamster. Well, he's very cute, Gujarati told Henry, giving Watson a small rub on the nose. He's my sidekick. Yeah, that's not weird, Livingston said under her breath. Then to Henry, so you found her approximately 40 minutes ago. She waved the approaching medic towards the corpse. Yes, I fell on her. And you didn't know the deceased in any capacity before tonight. No, I never knew Rosemary pre-death. But you know her name? From her driver's licence. Gujarati gave Henry a pat on the arm. It really would be best if in the future you didn't touch any part of the deceased? Oh, I didn't touch her, only her possessions. I thought it best to look for clues, anything that could help the investigation. Livingston rolled her eyes. Oh, I get it. If he's Watson, you must be Sherlock, right? Inwardly, Henry beamed. It's not every day a police officer calls you Sherlock. I'm a novice investigator, a night guard by profession, but I've read a lot. Livingston smirked. All right, Sherlock, what did you find? Well, her name is Rosemary Kelly, 41 years of age, single but currently dating someone, has a close connection with her family, which includes her mother and father, both still alive, her sister, whose name I believe is Joan, and two nephews. She works for McFarlane Legal. The pin code for her phone is 1224, and other than a slight gastric problem, seems to be in perfect health. Oh, and she's dead. Livingston gaped. Gujarati gave out a short, shocked laugh. He's right, a voice said. It was the medic who had been examining the body. 
She was a short woman with a round face, and Henry thought she was possibly the most beautiful thing he had ever seen. Well, at least about her health. I don't know about the rest of it. But there are no signs of a struggle that I can see, nor anything to suggest foul play, or any other obvious medical conditions. You'll have to wait until the autopsy to know more. Meredith, she finished, directing the name to Henry. She gave him an overly large amount of eye contact, the kind most people avoided and knew instinctively was impolite to maintain, the kind Henry himself had often been accused of. Henry, Henry said. Meredith looked him over, examining him. 42, you suffered an injury to your right knee at some point and kneeling is now a problem for you. You sleep easily and dream a lot when you do and you no longer like to shave because you used to cut yourself a lot while doing so. How did I do? She asked. Henry could have fainted. Brains and looks, he thought. Brains and looks, Henry said unconsciously. What? Meredith replied. You did great, Henry gushed. You got it all right. That was amazing. You're brilliant. You're a genius. You're... Henry's brain searched desperately for the perfect combination of words to compliment this near-perfect woman. It found them. You're the Sherlock Holmes of the medical world. Meredith blushed slightly at the onslaught of Henry's adoration. You were quite brilliant yourself. How did you know about the gastro? She had a pack of anti-nausea tablets in her handbag. How do you know about my dreaming? You have a deviated septum. It restricts breathing, which causes a lack of oxygen when sleeping, and as a result, the patient often experiences vivid dreaming. The pin code? A combination of the numbers on the nephew's basketball singlets. The shaving? There are a number of scars visible through your beard, quite a lot. It was a guess, but an educated one. How did you injure your knee? During a cricket match. Well, I wasn't playing cricket. I actually fell out of a tree, but it happened during a cricket match. Excuse me, Livingston barked. We are trying to conduct an investigation here. Henry stared at the senior constable blankly for a beat as he took in her statement. When you say we, are you including myself and Watson? He asked. The glare Livingston returned confused Henry, until he thought perhaps his inclusion of Watson had upset her. Oh, don't worry, Watson may not seem very bright, but he's an excellent investigator. It was another hour before Henry made it into work. The two police officers had questioned him intensely about any extra details he could remember. Well, mostly Gujarati. Livingston had spent most of the time grumbling about wannabe detectives who watched too many unrealistic cop shows. They'd taken all his information in case they needed to contact him, and Gujarati had given Henry her business card in case he thought of something else. Livingston had refused to do the same when Henry asked her if he should have her card as well. Meredith had seemed quite impressed at Henry's memory skills, and Henry in turn had been impressed by Meredith's knowledge of the human body, and just about everything else about her. All in all, it had been quite a night for Henry. He had met some police officers, talked with a pretty woman, and now had an investigation to investigate. Henry had never known finding a dead body would make him so happy. His co-worker, Marcus, was less happy. Where you been, man? The young man cried when he saw Henry. You were supposed to take over for me two hours ago. I met a woman. Well, two women. Actually, four women. Henry could tell this knowledge pleased Marcus, who considered himself a ladies' man and was always looking to give out advice when it came to the opposite sex. Okay, okay, maybe I can forgive you. What were they like? One was a beautiful doctor, two were police officers, and one was dead. Marcus's face went blank as this information came at him. You weren't the one that killed her, were you? He asked. Because, you know, you do seem like the type. No, Henry replied. Good. This doctor, you get her number? Henry realised then that no, he hadn't gotten Meredith's number, or the name of the hospital she worked for, or any additional information other than her first name. Marcus must have read the answer on Henry's face, because he said, Henry, man, you always got to get those digits, but hey, think about it like this. If it's meant to be, it's meant to be. 
You'll find her again, yeah? Anyway, I'm out. I'll see you tomorrow. Be on time, okay? Henry murmured a goodbye to the departing Marcus, but his mind was fixed on Marcus's previous statement. You'll find her. Henry smiled. He didn't have one investigation to solve, but two. Thanks for listening to the opening of The Case of Henry and the Hamster. I hope you've enjoyed it thus far, and if you'd like to read the rest of it, it's available for purchase at damienrobb.com forward slash books. Now, as I said at the start, I'd like to share the backstory of this book, and how it did so much in allowing me to see myself as a writer. As always, if that feels too self-indulgent for your taste, fair enough. But if that sounds like your kind of thing, then listen on. The idea for this story came into my mind at some point during my years at uni, studying screenwriting. I remember trying to explain it to one of my classmates on the last day of the course, and him mostly being confused by it. Admittedly, I didn't do a very good job at pitching the story. I probably said something like, there's this guy who's obsessed with Sherlock Holmes and so kind of tries to be Sherlock Holmes, except really he's just a night guard. Although he's not terrible at the detective stuff. Oh, and he has a hamster that he calls Watson and he talks to it and treats it like his actual sidekick. Which is all true. But there's a lot more in there as well. But to be fair to pass me, he didn't know that at the time because he hadn't written it yet. Part of me was scared to write it. I had the beginning of the idea in the first half of a chapter that I'd written in a flurry one rainy day, but not the ending or the experience of having written a story to its end. And that was intimidating. This was going to be a mystery story. And endings are important in mystery stories. The ending finally came to me one night when I was visiting my then-girlfriend, now-wife, in Stall, a small town in country Victoria where she was working at the time. I was half awake and half asleep, and my brain must have been chewing on the problem somewhere behind the curtain of consciousness. It found a solution, and a hand, or perhaps dendrite, reached past that curtain to tap the conscious part of me awake with this new information. I remember crawling out of bed to scrappily write it down in scribbles and dot points. It was good. A little sad. A little silly but overall appropriate for the story. It still took me a long time to write it, though. I did so in spurts, little bursts of words that I would write at home, or at a park, or at the library, or once outside the library when I hadn't bothered to look up its opening hours. At some point, I finished it. I liked it, and I liked having finished it. I shared it with my family and some friends, they said nice things, and that was that. Or so I'd thought. This story came into life and into my hands when my brother Jonathan very kindly and thoughtfully got it printed for me as a book. He did it all right. He designed the cover art, put in the copyright page, did an about the author section, even did a dedication, and wrote a funny and generous and heartwarming introduction. It remains one of the best presents I've ever been given, and it inspired me. A while after, I submitted the story to the Lord Mayor's Creative Writing Awards here in Melbourne, and to my absolute joy, it was shortlisted. It was exciting. I went to the awards ceremony, had the anticipation of thinking perhaps I'd actually win, which I didn't, but I still walked away with the first bit of outside validation I'd had about my work. With a physical copy in my hand and an award shortlisting to add to it, I decided to self-publish a run to sell, which I did, selling them at live shows of a podcast I was a part of and any other event that seemed appropriate. I sold most, not all, and was just happy with the idea that my writing was out there in some small way. And again, That was that. Until now, where I've once more gone over the words, cut some, added some, edited most, dusted the whole thing off and found it still very much alive. I could tell you more, 
about how it grew, how the characters led to me getting other work, how I really had no idea what I was doing, about all the different drafts it's gone through, and how in so many ways this little book changed my life. But I'll stop myself there, and instead once more say, it's now available for purchase in either paperback or ebook, and can be found at damienrob.com forward slash books. Alright, that's it from me. However, if you'd like to contact me, you can do so by emailing shorttales.podcast at gmail.com or you can find me on Twitter at MiddayPajamas. Also, while this podcast will always be free, if you'd like to throw a few extra dollars my way, you can do so by visiting co-fi.com forward slash DamienRob or you can find all the appropriate links in the episode show notes. Until next time, this has been Short Tales and I've been Damien Rob. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.